Hi healers, it's Allison here. So I want to tell you a little bit more about how Taylor and I got started with our podcast and the platform we've been using, which is Anchor, has been so user-friendly and so amazing. I just want to tell anyone else out there that is thinking about starting a podcast, Anchor is the way to go. First of all, it's completely free, so hello. Second of all, there's so many creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. It's crazy. I'm recording this right from my phone, and it literally just looks like the record button on your videos or your Instagram. So it really is such a user-friendly platform, and the coolest thing is, is you can add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes too. And the possibilities are seriously endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never even seen before. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many other platforms. And you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And like I said, it's so user-friendly. I recommend Anchor. Go to anchor.fm to get started or the Anchor app. See you later, healers. Hi, I'm Allison. And I'm Taylor. And together, we're the Anxiety Chicks. Each week, we will dive deep into a different topic about anxiety and the real-life experiences we all go through, while giving you all the top tools and tips you need for your journey to recovery. Our degrees may say therapist and dietitian, but together we are just real chicks on our own healing journeys too. Join us as we take you from panic to power and reduce the stigma of mental health. Remember, you're never alone and we're all in this together. Hi, healers. Allison here. So I want to talk to you all a little bit about one of our new sponsors, BetterHelp. I'm so excited to tell you about this online counseling platform because as a licensed therapist, I'm a huge advocate of mental health awareness and truly believe in providing affordable counseling services to anyone, anywhere. Let's face it, there's so many areas in the United States and around the world that can make it so difficult to find affordable counseling. And especially if you live in a more rural area, it can be really hard to find a counselor, which is why I love this online platform. BetterHelp is an online mental health healing platform that provides online counseling and matches you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's a professional counseling service done securely online and is available worldwide. What's even better is that there are a number of different licensed counselors who specialize in all different areas of mental health. BetterHelp makes it so easy to log onto your account at any time and contact your therapist directly. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses and can schedule as many weekly video or phone sessions as you would like. As a therapist, I know that it's not always possible to find the right therapist for your needs, especially the very first time. So BetterHelp has actually made it so easy to facilitate great therapeutic matches. And if you don't find a connection with your first counselor, there's absolutely no charge to change counselors if you ever need to. How amazing is that? And if you find that you're struggling financially, they also have financial aid available. So we have a special offer for all Anxiety Chick listeners today. Sign up now and receive 10% off your first month. Just visit betterhelp.com slash the Anxiety Chicks. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P slash the Anxiety Chicks and join over 50. 
500,000 people who are taking charge of healing their mental health with an experienced counselor today. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Anxiety Chicks podcast. I'm Allison Sepinera. And I'm Taylor. And we're so excited to be back with you today. We have a very special guest coming on, and we're going to get her on in a couple minutes after Taylor and I kind of talk a little bit about how we've been doing, how we usually, what we usually do in the beginning of this podcast. Um, but we're just excited for our special guest. So you're going to want to stay tuned um, for who we have. It's a very hot topic, one that we've gotten so much in our DMs. I know I have at so least. much. Yeah. Um, one that you guys probably have heard me talk about within the last couple episodes because I'm in a new relationship and I've been having a lot of anxiety uh, related to it. And so we're going to be talking about attachment anxiety in a little bit with our guest. But um, first things first, Taylor, how are you doing? You know, probably the same as last week. It's, it's just I feel like sometimes I wake up and I'm like, how is it Monday again? Like, I don't know if you feel that, but it's like with this COVID thing, I've just been days have been just like mushing together and it's like you wake up and you're already starting a new week and like you would think time would go by slower but it feels like time's going by so fast no i know it's weird that's what i it's that's so what i weird. said um i think i might have said this another episode but like since march i feel like the days i'm just like oh my gosh like with quarantine oh this is so going so slow like when is this going to end when it's going to end right. but now today looking back it went by so fast like i can't believe it's december so yeah, I'm going to be honest with everyone listening. Like my anxiety has been pretty bad. Um, just, you know, you know, I'm getting married in March and thinking <laughs> back to last March, I was like, oh my gosh, everything will be fine by my wedding. Right. And here we are almost a year later. And it's just like, I, I'm the type that like, if one person got sick at my wedding, I wouldn't be okay. No. Oh my God. So it's like, I'm in such a, and, and, and they like all these vendors and venues, like they won't refund you. So are you nervous at all that you might still have to push it back again? I don't think we are allowed to. Well, what it, oh, okay. Are you, are you like in Texas? Okay. If the venue isn't shut down, oh. you can't move your date. Like they've lost so much money from so many weddings that they're just like, you have to have it. It's so sad. I mean, and I get their standpoint. Like, they are a business. They have to keep going. Like, if we push off everyone's weddings, it would be – so I know so many people who are listening are, are maybe engaged or getting married too. And just I just want you to know I feel for you. And this is really hard for all of us. Like, it's just – there's so many unknowns. Like, my grandma the other night said she just doesn't think she'll be able to make it. And it just made me so sad. No. Well, and you uh. think about it how – like, I, I – think I've talked about this before, but like, I've never was like this as a, as a little girl or anything. I never like yeah. imagined my wedding and like, me neither, me like, neither thought about like my white dress, like, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that do imagine their wedding day when they're little and they imagine like well, how like it's going to be. And I feel like it's so sad a little bit that there's some people that really just have a vision in their mind of what their wedding is going to be like. And it's, I at least wanted family you know like that's something you wouldn't even think twice about like your family not being there like what like yeah so it, it's it's been hard you know what I've and I love that Rebecca's on here I mean I know we're talking about anxious and attachment today but like it's been hard to even enjoy the engagement time like I feel like my mind is just so consumed with the stress and the is it going to happen is it not going to happen do I need to contact all the vendors da, 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 and then throw in a little bit of COVID in the holidays and I'm just like 
Like my fiance and I have two different views. Not that he doesn't believe in COVID, but he's just a very, uh, he looks at the statistics. He looks at the facts. He's very like, I'm young. I'm healthy. If I get it, like, I'm sure I'll be okay. And I'm very like, I could be that 1% who died, you know, like, oh my gosh, I'm on the total other spectrum. Like I know I'm 20, 25, about to be 26, but I still feel like I could be that one, you know? And so- he wanted to travel to uh, South uh, to Lake Tahoe. His family was going to fly in, and then he has some family. I told you in Napa, um, his dad and them, and just so many people coming from so many different directions. And I heard airport travel is only down, like the flights that were purchased, ticket prices or, or ticket purchases are only down ten percent from last year. Wow, is that not insane? Well, that's so interesting because I was going to, I'm interested to talk to Rebecca about this later because, you know, I'm thinking, I'm hearing you talk about, you know, with your wedding coming up and just the different challenges that you have with your fiance right now and the different challenges that I'm having in a new relationship right now. It's like, it's like, do any of those things ever, like, do you ever not feel like anxious in a relationship? <laughs> like, is there ever a time? Because I feel like as life moves on, you you grow maybe with the person, but like, there's always like different challenges. I feel like in it, oh, and how I'm do you manage? Candid. Like, how do you yeah, manage? Yeah. So I think Rebecca's probably going to have some really good tips for us on how to oh, yeah, navigate I- through different different like the evolution of relationships. Whether it's like you've been together five months or five years or fifty years, you know what I mean. So. Well, I'm I've excited. been with my fiance for seven years and we go, th- I go through, I would say he, he has no anxiety. We've talked about this before, right? but yeah. um, I would say I go through like ebbs and flows of like, sometimes just one thing will happen and I can catastrophize the whole thing as in like, I'll be like, oh, this isn't meant to be like, I don't know if this is the right choice. Like if he's the right one for me, but what if I messed up? What if like there's someone else out there that I'm meant to be with? And like, he didn't do anything wrong and everything's fine. Like it's normal to have like fights in a relationship. It's normal to like get annoyed of someone after a couple years. And like, I'll let Rebecca get into this because we've been I was like, gonna going say, on for a minute. I was going to get her on because I feel like that's such a good like place for her to help you, place to yeah. start like for yeah. her to help you with because um, I think we're both going to have a lot of questions for her. Uh, okay. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce Rebecca, uh, let you know a little bit about her, and then we'll bring her on. So Rebecca McDermott is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Pennsylvania and is group practice owner of Connected Counseling. Her group specializes in improving and repairing connections and relationships for individuals, couples, and families. You can go to connectedcounselingpa.com to learn more. Rebecca is very passionate about helping couples have better communication, productive conflict, and greater intimacy. She's also a wife and a mother to three kiddos. She loves hiking in nature with her family and her dog, reading, and all things Bravo. Oh, that is a girl close to my heart because I love all things (laughs) Bravo too. (laughs) Well, we have to know. We have to know what what kind of dog. Oh, she is a rescue pup. So she's like oh. a black lab. Um, I think some sort of like spaniel mix. I don't know. She's a bunch of things. Her name's Dottie. And she's Dottie. adorable. So Dottie. <laughs> I love her. I love um, it. Welcome. Yes. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so glad that we could make this work out. And I love to talk all things relationships. So this is awesome for me. Oh my gosh, we're so excited. This couldn't come at a better time too, I think, with everyone listening with the holidays and stuff, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> there's oh, even a- and 
these are ones that are so different, right? Everybody's not able to see family or with just having the election and all right. of the, you know, the tension that's, you know, been existing among families and couples because of that. These are like the holidays for the books, right? Oh my right. gosh, totally. Yes. So I'd love for you to kind of explain a little bit more about attachment anxiety or a, a, a attachment theory, just very briefly, but mostly kind of what attachment anxiety looks like or, and give maybe some examples and, and, you know, how it kind of, how it kind of relates to different relationships. Yeah, perfect. So um, attachment theory was originally developed um, by John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth. They're, you know, researchers from a long time ago. And it was basically all, you know, what the the caregiver-child relationship looks like. Uh, but more recently, there's been so many studies done regarding um, attachment in adulthood and how, like, attachment relationships really span from, like, cradle to grave. So they span the whole, you know, the whole lifespan. And it's not just about the parent-child relationship, but also um, in our intimate relationships. Because if you think of a bond between two partners, like you really rely and depend on your partner for so much. Um, so it's undoubted that there's going to be some of these attachment and just injuries or longings that come up in your partner relationship. Um, mm. So an anxious attachment style is when someone... Um, it's really someone who's very in tune to the emotional state of um, relationships. So you're probably going to be the one in the relationship who is paying attention to if you feel like there's a problem or if there's something that we need to fix. Um, you're you're the one who's paying attention to that mostly. Um, it can result from an inconsistent relationship with a caregiver in childhood, but it could also result in, you know, having an intimate relationship with someone where there was infidelity um, or lots of lies or manipulation, you just kind of don't really know if that person is going to be there for you. So you're kind of constantly questioning, is this a safe person for me? Is this bond secure? Is this person going to be there for me when they need me? Yeah. Um, yeah. So well, you might tend, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I'd say, like you might tend to be the person in the relationship who's like pursuing it a little bit more and wanting to make sure that the connection is okay. Sometimes that can look like criticizing. Sometimes that can look like calling a lot or seeking a lot of reassurance. Um, but that's kind of what it tends to look like in adult, our adult relationships. Yeah, that's actually what I was what I was just going to say because in the first, you know. Like I said, I'm maybe three months into in a relationship and oh my gosh, only recently was I um, just like in my head all the time about needing reassurance mm -hmm. and recognizing how much anxious attachment that I actually do have because I actually, honestly, full disclosure, I've not been in a relationship in like 10 years. So this is all, it was all so new to me. And in doing my own research about attachment theory, and like I was listening to other podcasts about anxious attachment too. And I was, it almost made me feel a little bit more, um, it made me feel a little bit better that like what I was going through was actually something that a lot of people go through in relationships. Mm -hmm. And I, and it wasn't, and all of the things that in my mind, I, I was thinking were true, probably weren't because there was like no real evidence that anything was going on. But definitely when you just said like the need for reassurance, that was just something, oh my gosh, every day I just was like, I'm doing a lot better with that now, but so annoying. 
<laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it too, like wanting to feel reassured that someone is going to be there for you, like it's not an unhealthy thing. You know, I think a lot of times we can look at behaviors and relationships and categorize them as good or bad or healthy or unhealthy. But when you start to see behaviors through an attachment lens, um, then they really make a lot of sense. So they feel, you know, that that pursuit for reassurance is probably going to feel um, less threatening to your partner because if they can send you a sign that, hey, I'm still here for you, um, even though I right. might not physically be able to be there, but like your needs are important to me, then you feel um, there's a you feel soothed and then you can begin to soothe yourself, you know, especially as a relationship develops. Well, and I guess that's one of my questions because I know for me the past couple weeks, months, I've been seeing my therapist every week instead of, you know, I would see her maybe once a month. And that was so helpful to just be able to process all of this with her. Mm -hmm. um, but like along with that, I know everyone's sort of anxiety does look kind of different. Um, but with attachment anxiety, like what are some of those self-soothing tips that you feel like you see in your practice that people can use if they find themselves becoming more anxious in their relationship? Totally. So I would say like really practicing boundaries. Um, you know, I think if you identify more with an anxious attachment style, like you in, in, in intimate relationships, but also probably in like friendship relationships and coworker relationships, like you really have a desire to be liked, you have a desire to be accepted. So you probably say yes, more than you actually want to you probably might find yourself um, not sharing or expressing a need in a relationship, right? You kind of have to like play it cool. I'm going to bend mm -hmm. so that the other person like, um, you know, I can make sure that they're okay. And that, you know, the way that they relate, like, I'm going to, I'm going to pay attention to that rather than saying, Hey, I'm not okay with this. Or, Hey, I also really want to check in and hear from you every couple hours. And I'm um, so scared of, I'm so scared of them like abandoning me and just leaving me. Right. So I want to try right. everything in my power to not have that happen. So like overly, overly people, people pleasing, you know, pleasing the person. Absolutely. Like I have to be careful with that. Yeah. Absolutely. So Rebecca, yeah. I ahead. have a question. So, you know, like people with anxiety, is it, is this very hand in hand with people who have anxiety disorders? Because like a lot of times with anxiety disorders, you really struggle with, um, knowing you're in control. Mm -hmm. And so like, this is such a, I know for me, it's like, like Allison said, the fear of abandonment. So you want to control that not happening. Right. And so to me, it would just seem like more common than not for people with anxiety to go hand in hand in relationships with attachment and, uh, and anxiety. Yeah. I, I think they can definitely go hand in hand and they might, you know, if you have to, you could also look too and say like, maybe part of the root of my anxiety is, you know, these attachment relationships, right? Where as a child, I was constantly guessing if someone was going to be there for me or not. Or, you know, as, as a kid, you just, you know, the way our brains work, you just kind of internalize um, rejection as it's somehow your fault. But then, right, if you also have a diagnosis of like generalized anxiety disorder, something along those lines, like you already are spending so much time in your head and you're already spending right. so much time kind of challenging yourself. And so you're probably already then trying to like shrink yourself in relationships as well, you know, to mm -hmm. like, oh, it's just my anxiety or trying to push down my needs because, you know, oh, they could just be my anxiety and I don't want to put that on anyone else. Right. And does it also, so I know, like you say, like the fear of like maybe your parents never being there for you or wondering if they were going to be there for you. But what about like the, 
um, over controlling parents, like the helicopter parents, can that also cause this to happen? Oh yeah. Because you don't, you then aren't able to trust yourself, right? Like if, if your parent is kind of there making sure that like all, um, any sort of like threat is out of your way, then you aren't able to rely on that independent side of yourself. So then you're overly reliant on someone else in the relationship to, um, you know, to tell you what's safe or not. I think that's a huge thing with people like they don't allow themselves to realize that they did have trauma as a kid because their parents were always there. And mm-hmm. like they never went through the thing of like a parent leaving or like something. But like, I think it should be normalized that like even having parents who were and maybe they meant well and they had anxiety themselves, but the over controlling and overbearing and uh, just helicopter parents is also a part of trauma. That is trauma itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a lot of people feel like they can't allow themselves to feel that trauma because they're like, well, how could I allow myself to feel trauma when I had parents who were always there for me and gave me the world? Like, that's so selfish of me when there was kids who grew up with like a parent not loving them. You know what I mean? Like, right. I think it's hard when you were kind of like given those type of parents. Cause I know I struggle with that. Like my mom means like her heart means so well, but growing up, she always wanted to make sure like I did not that I did good, but like she just worried so much about something bad happening or me doing something bad that will like ruin my life for the rest of my life. You know, like uh, she meant well, but she was just so helicopter about it. Like right. I love my mom. She's listening. I love you, mom. But like, she, and she knows it. Like we've talked about it. Like, but sometimes I don't think I allowed myself to feel the trauma because it was like, and I hate saying the word trauma about that. You know, it's it's sad, but. I never allowed myself to feel the, uh, just that it was a lot. It was very, it felt like I never had control of anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And no, that's what I would even say. I think so many adults are uncomfortable with talking about the way that they were raised because of that, right? Because we don't want to say that you had a horrible childhood if you didn't. And we right. end up kind of comparing traumas. So what I always do is um, an attachment history questionnaire with my clients individually and with couples so that I really get an understanding of like, how was emotion handled in your house? How was discipline handled in your house growing up? Who did you go to for comfort growing up? Um, What adults were in your life that provided you comfort and safety? Um, And it might just not always be parents who are those adults that provide safety, but, you know, a coach or a teacher or an aunt and uncle or a grandparent that really was significant um, to you growing up. So that's definitely something I think is so helpful when you're doing this work to secure attachment is to go back and look at, um, you know, what was happening in childhood. Because like you said, Taylor, like there might have been reasons for, you know, to mom, for mom to behave like that. And it might have made sense at the time. Um, but it ends up kind of creating that dynamic for you. Well, I can also imagine that as, you know, the helicopter types of caregivers, um, you know, I, I would assume that most parents goal for their child is to have them grow up and be, you know, independent of them and be able to feel secure in the world around them and figure out their career and how to take care of themselves and be independent. And so, I think what's really hard with the helicopter type of parent is like they want that for their child, but it's almost so scary for them. Like the world is too scary or something mm-hmm. like they need 100%. to overly protect to, them. Yep. So then they grow up and they feel very scared when they are out on their own. They don't know really what to do to handle. I had to like 
take control. Like I had to tell my mom, I want to be independent. Mm -hmm. Like, I think she always wanted me, like she wanted us to learn all the things of life, but like, she always was like, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. Like, and she has such a heart of gold, but like she did my brother's homework and full disclosure, my brother still lives at home. And like, it's really hard for her to let go of him. Like she gets very, like she still does his laundry and like, there's a lot of like, wow, there's, there's a whole backstory to that. Like of, you know, we could get really deep into that, but anyways, like I had to take control myself and luckily I'm a very independent person by nature. And so like, I remember growing up being like, I want to learn how to do laundry, like teach me. Like she mm-hmm. just always took the control. Like she just always did the thing. So if I let her, I could still 100% be in her house and she would maybe like cook all my meals. So it's just like, it's, it's, it's hard like with the helicopter mom. So anyone listening, like just because you didn't have a parent, like abandoning you growing up or you didn't have, uh, something significant, like, uh, that you would see as trauma that, you know, like is most talked about as trauma. It is still trauma to have overbearing parents. It's a lot, sure. mm-hmm. but sure. I don't think it's talked about enough. No. Well, and yeah. Rebecca, you do, you did such a good job when we did our, um, uh, Instagram live uh, a couple weeks ago, months ago, um, about explaining attachment theory and kind of the role that each, like the insecure attachments have with how a caregiver responded to you when you were little. Right. Um, I know that's kind of not to go too deep into that, but can you talk about that a little bit? So I, with like an anxious attachment style, um, it was, you know, it's a caregiver who is, is like in, inconsistently there. So like they might be there, um, they might be there for you, but then the care might go away. Or if you're expressing a need, you might get shamed for having that need. Um, so that's kind of the origin okay. of what an anxious attachment style. Uh, and then, but I, if you also have a, a parent who struggles with anxiety and it's unmanaged, then you might, and the world might seem like a very scary place, right? So then my parent also becomes the source of anxiety, but going too far away from my parent is also a source of anxiety because of that messaging that I keep getting. So you're kind of caught in between that, like that separation and going back to the secure base. Like it doesn't feel quite so safe to leave the secure base, but when, when you're at the secure base, you know, being with your parent, you're also still kind of on high alert. And so, and then now, can you explain what like a securely attached type of caregiver looked like looks like for someone? So a securely attached caregiver is, you know, they are encouraging you to take independence and then they also remain there um, so that you can look back, you know, just like thinking of a child, like a three or four year old at the playground, right? So like you're encouraging your child to go try something on their own and then they turn around and look and they see that you're still there. And there's that unspoken message from the parent to the child at that moment that like, okay, this is a little scary, but my mom or dad or, you know, whoever is taking care of me is right there in case I need them. And I can go back to them when I need that reassurance and then I can leave and I can go explore the world. It's really all about how we learn how to explore our environment around us. And I think to what Taylor was saying before, like being a parent now we are getting messaging constantly about how dangerous the world is. Yeah. And I, we yeah. are just, I mean, we're getting those messages constantly. It's not safe right. anymore. There's so many more things to be aware of. You know, I think one of my favorite memes that I've seen is like, you know, parenting in the seventies and eighties, like feed them every now and then parenting 
now, you know, meet their emotional needs, meet their academic needs, meet their physical, right. psychological needs. Right. Like it's, you know, boom, 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 boom. And it's, it's exhausting as you're trying to do all this and then also just trying to raise good people. So that I definitely encourage adults now to really just look at their attachment style and not, you know, focus on like not shaming yourself or not shaming your parents, but as an adult, you're, you're responsible to look at your attachment style and see how you show up in relationships. And can right. you move it more towards secure? I like 50% of the population is, you know, securely functioning, mm-hmm. um, securely attached. Um, and even if you do identify with an anxious attachment style or an avoidant attachment style, most likely you're following, you're falling on a continuum. So it's not an extreme on either end. You could be you know, have anxious attachment tendencies, but still be pretty securely attached. You know, and that's how I would describe myself as more of like an anxious attachment style, um, um, but fairly, you know, securely attached. So those things pop up, you know, like my anxious attachment tendencies, like protest behavior or um, making sure that the connection in my relationship is okay. Like that shows up in like times of like deep stress or conflict. Sure. Yeah. Well, and you just mentioned avoidant avoidant attachment too, um, without, again, going to kind of a rabbit hole, but like, can you just talk a little bit about the avoidant piece? Because I think from what I've, from what I've read again, and what I've been working on, from what I understand is because I have sort of this anxious attachment style, if I were to be with someone that was really avoidant attachment, like that would be not really the greatest thing. <laughs> and the, I think the hard part is they show up in relationships together all the time. I know that's what I read. So <laughs> explain avoidant just a little, and you might know just cause the word avoidant, but um, tell us a little bit about what that is. So an avoidantly attached ty- uh, style would be, you know, someone who kind of wants to keep intimate relationships like at arm's length. So um, maybe like overly independent, really tries very hard to not rely on others to get their needs met. Um, this might be someone who describes themselves as like not very emotional, um, you know, which I think is so funny because everybody is emotional. It's just how we learn that it's okay to express that we have emotions. Right. Um, this could be somebody who like you go out on a date with, you know, a couple of days in a row. And then as things start to feel like they're getting a little bit closer and you're really enjoying them. Your attachment system is sending out cues like, all right, nope, you're getting too close. This is the danger zone. We're going to push away and we're going to really avoid this person and make it seem like we don't need intimate close relationships. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Rebecca, I have a question for you. Um, With anxious attachment um, style, do people ever self-sabotage? Like, as in, like, um, purposely starting fights or purposely causing issues to, like, comfort their emotions. Like, they would rather something happen than have to deal with abandonment. So this is exactly, like, where I would... I I think, like, we look at it as self-sabotage, but if you start to look at it through an attachment lens, it makes total sense. So we would, like, call that protesting behaviors, right? So, like, picking a fight... Right. If I'm picking a fight with you, it's because I'm feeling like maybe our connection is a little bit off or I'm not too sure. I'm not so sure that you're going to stay here with me, you know, during this moment. So I'm going to pick that fight. I'm going to protest and I'm going to see if you remain with me. 
So this is a real thing. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. Absolutely. Or maybe like picking a fight to get the reassurance that they'll still fight for you. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I I definitely did a lot of that. (laughs) Well, and with anxious attachment too, it's that I think, Allison, we talked about this in the live. It's kind of a double panic, right? Like it's a panic when my person is really is away from me and I don't have that reassurance that they're there. And then it's a panic when I get, when they're, when they are too close because yeah. I fear that abandonment right on the other side. Yeah. Cause I don't know if they're going to come back. I don't know if they're going to show up after they've been, if they're so close and I allow myself to relax into that closeness when they leave again, is that abandonment going to spike and be right there for me? So definitely think, starting fights is huge. I think that's the top thing I get messaged about. I remember I posted a thing on my stories, like just talking about like, you know, you get on Instagram sometimes and you're, you see these like influencers or like uh, couples and everything just seems so perfect. And like, mm-hmm. you're like, oh my gosh, my relationship, I got to leave now because we are so mm-hmm. far from this and and we're, we're just failing. Like we're going to end up divorced in five years. Like, you know what I mean? Like you see those, especially nowadays, social media is just so big. The picture perfect couple is thrown in front of your face, but that isn't reality. And I no. feel like it took me so long to realize that fights are normal. Nobody is 100% never annoyed with someone living with them 24 seven. Like it's just inevitable. Like you're going to get upset with someone. And I think that like with people with anxiety, when they feel that way, they're just like their first instinct is maybe this uh, relationship isn't for me. And maybe there's someone else out there. I know I've gone down the rabbit hole. Like what if there's someone else who I'm more compatible with and like would understand my anxiety better? Or I, I remember going down the rabbit hole of like, maybe I need to just be with someone who has anxiety as well. But then like thinking about that, it would be like so oh bad. We'd never, God, we would never no. leave the house. And- <laughs> no. Oh my God. No. But you know what I mean? Like you just, you have right. those thoughts of like, yeah. Totally. I feel like that's how celebrities date, right? Like I have to date another celebrity because they're the only one who (laughs) can get it. But then we, right. But we all know how that usually goes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, I just, cause I, I want to hear from you a little bit about, we talked a little bit about self-soothing stuff and you know, that's kind of how our podcast goes. We kind of digress a little bit, but I want to go back to that a little, like the self-soothing piece. You talked a little bit about boundaries and, um, like, I love that because that's something that I've been really working on as well. Personally, in the last couple months is, is the boundaries, but also something that was so important for me. And I've realized now with someone that I'm in a relationship with is there needs to be communication, like good communication. Mm -hmm. I actually, and I actually found myself after being able to, I mean, you know me a little bit, Rebecca, so it probably won't surprise you that it's very hard for me to like hold my emotions in when I am feeling something so much. I feel it and I literally can't hold it anymore, especially when I'm like crying or I'm anxious about something. I can't just let it go. And so thankfully, you know, that had happened a couple times in the beginning of our relationship. And I just like was the girl that was crying. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. And he didn't think I he didn't run away. I was very happy. He's still around. And he actually was like, um, really compassionate with me and was very much telling me that he was happy. I was being vulnerable with him. So um, 
that was so nice to have somebody who was open and not scared of seeing emotion. And mm -hmm. as it as it went along, learning more about anxious attachment, I actually talked to him a little bit about it and was like, you know, I think some of this is happening because I'm a little, I have this kind of like anxious attachment style and I'm working on it and we're just so open about it. So I feel like that was so helpful for me. So I don't know if you feel like communication is like one of the most important things or how does that work? Oh, totally. I think communication, and that's what most couples come to me for is our communication off is off. And, you know, our, our communication is really, it's not so much like how we say it, but are we showing each other that, you know, that there's acceptance and reassurance here, right? So there's safety. It was safe for you to cry and express emotion in that relationship because he didn't run away, right? And he said, it's yeah. okay, please share this with me. And it's actually so important when you can tolerate um, the discomfort that you might feel for one another's emotions, because that's how we really create security. Um, so I would definitely say for someone who identifies with an anxious attachment style, it's to be okay with having needs, you know, like you're probably often told that you're too needy, or you're too oversensitive. And that might be messaging that you've gotten your entire life. And it's okay to have needs in a relationship, and it's okay to express them. You know, your partner might not be able to meet them immediately, but you're communicating that you have them and that you would like them met so that you can also meet theirs as well. Like, and then it's okay for them to share with you what needs they might have. But I think so often um, anxiously attached individuals are really trying to downplay the fact that they have needs or emotional responses because they haven't been accepted before. So you have to I have to downplay and betray my own needs to make sure that this person remains in the relationship with me. And that's when you can really end up um, in a relationship where it's like a, an anxious and an avoidant style together. And we just kind of get caught in really toxic communication patterns. Totally. Yeah. Oh my so gosh. I'd say for soothing, it's like, be comfortable with having needs and learning how to tolerate that discomfort in sharing those needs to one another. And that might be, you know, through breathing practices, or I think practicing those needs too with, um, in relationships where they're not so deeply connected or so intimate, like maybe it's practicing them in friendships, like reaching out to a friend and talking to a friend about emotions or about your needs or with coworkers. Um, you know, I think so many of us, have, you know, just kind of freeze in situations that are uncomfortable rather than sharing that discomfort because um, we just want to make sure that everybody else is okay. So starting to practice having those needs in relationships that aren't as deeply connected as well. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like there's a, I feel like everyone should be in couples therapy. Like, I feel like there's a stigma that, yeah, that yeah. like if you're in couples I therapy, agree. it means you have problems. Right. No. Which like, don't we all have problems? <laughs> <laughs> well, and they're Seriously. like every, things are preventable too. That's how I yeah. always say Like, I think for too long, couples therapy has been seen as just like a last ditch effort when really yes. it could be so helpful, like as an engaged couple. Um, I love working with couples who are either pregnant or having their first child because that's another huge life shift. Yes. And yeah. if you want to talk about attachment issues coming to light, I mean, when you have a child, all of a sudden you're watching, you know, part of yourself, you know, play out in the real world. So attachment stuff is going to come up for you as you parent a child because of the things that you didn't get or you weren't given um, or were given too much of when you were parented as a child. Yeah. I also feel like wow. um, 
Well, I just I, I just want to say because it came to my mind real quick. Um, as you think about relationships and communication with each other, you know, so many of us had we're, we're not really given the language of how to express emotions or like you said before, didn't have our needs met. And, you know, if we were f- having certain difficult emotions as children and just to say our parents um, didn't have that skill either, like they didn't know how to express their feelings mm-hmm. or emotions. Right. So like, it's sometimes a systemic thing and everyone is so quick to be like, Oh, it's the mom and dad's fault. They made me this way or, you know, and yeah, like there's no guidebook for the perfect parenting. Let's just be honest. Right. Like Every but parenting is hard. Like it is probably the hardest thing anyone will ever do in their life when they're a parent. And so there's no perfect way to do it. And everyone has limitations. And so it's almost like I know with me, I learned so much about my mom's own anxieties and her own how she was raised and how, you know, her limitations came from her history with her mom and dad. And that so much of what I used to say was like, why didn't she do this for me? I was like, I forgive her. And I say, you know, she mm-hmm. did the best she could with what she had and the skills that she had. And and still to this day, I, I notice it a little bit and I give her more compassion now as an adult, you know, daughter. And so it's like, you know, it's it took it took a lot of years and it's still going for me to learn how to have the language to actually express my feelings. And when I say that, I'm like, and I say this to people in my practice too, expressing my feelings, like literally going back to the basics of I have to recognize actually a feeling word that I'm feeling in that moment. Like I think it's sad and I'm feeling angry. Like mm-hmm. literally going back to what they teach kids now in guidance lessons in schools, which they didn't do back in the day, and using feeling words and using I statements and recognizing that, oh my gosh, I actually never knew. And I'm, you know, a 40-year-old woman, I never knew that, yeah, I should be saying, like, I feel sad right now because of this. You know, it's so hard to find the language to do right. that. Right. Right. And like the there's a function for that. So like when we're in high conflict or, you know, our attachment system is triggered, like it's we have that physiological response and we tend to just go to fight or flight mode. So that's why so much is enacted in behaviors rather than words. So that's, I help couples like slow that down. Like, let's see what this looks like when it's playing out and let's slow it down so you can use those words and you can access those feelings. And then you can also really hear what's going on for your partner as well, right? So if you're anxiously attached and your partner's turning away from you, you're probably going to perceive and read that as they don't care about me. And like they don't care about me and I'm unlovable or I'm wrong for having, you know, for having these feelings or mm-hmm. having these needs. Whereas your partner who might be more avoidantly attached is probably in full panic mode, just like looking for the exit. How do I get out of here? This person wants to rely on me. I can't meet their need. I'm bad for not being able to be in this relationship. I'm bad for not being able to do that. And I have to get my, myself out of here and get to safety. Um, so that's such a place where we get caught. And I think, you know, one of the things that you guys were talking about before, you know, how much, uh, you know, with COVID-19 and what's coming up is like, as this continues, like we're really relying, like people are stuck in the house with their partners for like going on 10 months now. Right. So you might've been able to get needs met by friends or family or coworkers. Like, right. You could go to like a bunch of different places and get those needs met. Well, now you've been in a house or in this very small bubble with like with your partner and you might be having that like recognition that they can't meet all my needs. And if there is some attachment stuff there, um, you might be freaking out at this point. Right. So that's there's such a reason for all the distress in relationships right now. 
um, we're just really relying on one another a lot and it's hard. So true. Like I didn't even, I mean, I thought about that, but that's so true. It's just a whole nother layer right now. Yeah. It's like survival. I know so many many people getting divorced. I know. I I think divorce has become really, uh, really normalized. Like as in, um, too common. Do you see this, Rebecca? As in like people maybe aren't um, working hard enough in their marriage? Yeah. I would say like the second things get hard because of maybe social media, like I said, you're seeing all these quote unquote perfect couples that like you're like, mine's just horrible. And so best thing is to leave. Yeah. I think there can definitely be an an idealization of what life beyond divorce looks like, but I'm actually not I'm not, I'm actually not too upset that divorce has become more normalized because I I think also people have a tendency to stay in relationships that aren't working for too long as well. Kind of you know like if you're if it's not working and you both aren't going to put the effort to make it work, then you kind of need to figure out a way to get out of it because it, it's not just going to correct itself on its own. Um so I so think like- it's a Go ahead. What What would you say are like the top, like, I think a lot of people are like, how do I know when to leave? How do I know when it, enough is enough? Like, what would, what would you say are like the top things you see of when you're like, yeah, y'all should probably like decide on an exit plan? Yeah. So, I mean, like if there's um, like unchecked substance abuse, or if you're bringing up issues in the relationship and your partner has no desire to work on them or just kind of refuses to see that they're there, you're not going to get very far. You know, you can't have one person fighting for a relationship. It needs to be two people. Um, You know, infidelity can be worked through. As long as partners are willing to work through it, it can be worked through, but I, I think that you have to really decide, like, have I put effort in here? Is my partner putting in effort here? Um, and if we're not seeing effort on both parts, then you probably want to start making an exit strategy. And definitely if there's any signs of blatant abuse, any physical abuse, any you know sexual abuse occurs in marriages, um, verbal and emotional abuse, that there's no plan for that to change at all, then you want to start to get yourself out and get yourself to safety. Well, and I, 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 I feel like that's very similar to when I, um, I'm just like thinking in my, in my private practice and people ask me, you know, um, when do you know it's time or how do you know, like someone will see progress if they come to see you in therapy? And I will, I will always say from the beginning, there needs to be at least like 1% of them that wants to work on themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, even if it's 1%, I can work with that. I can try and dig and see where we can get to. But like there needs to be at least a part of them that wants to work on themselves and wants to change. So I feel like that's kind of similar to what you're saying about couples. Like one of them has to at least want to kind of work for for it to be, you know, successful. But and and I agree with you though. I think some of them are not like I don't think everyone that goes to couples therapy should go in there being like, well, this is going to save us because I think sometimes they go in there. And the best thing about the whole process is them knowing that maybe they aren't meant to be together, you know? Yeah. And that can definitely happen. I mean, I think couples therapists, it's not our job to really determine if you should be together or not. Like our right. job is to support you in your goals. And I find that if a couple comes and they end up not, you know, deciding to not stay together, if it's done mutually, and there's mm-hmm. respect there, then, you know, 
you're not going to, you don't have to carry all this into your next relationship. You can have some closure right there with that person um, and end a relationship respectfully, which a lot of us don't really have that history of, you know, like we're used to relationships just being over and then either moving on or, you know, having some chaos be there, but it doesn't always have to be so chaotic. Um, You know, but I, I do think social media poses a challenge because it really puts us into that, um, you know, you can easily compare your life with someone else's and you can not, you can easily look at your own life and not see what is going well. I think it's very easy to always see like yeah. what's not going well rather than focus on yes. like what's working and what are our strengths compared to others. I do that all the time. Like it's one of the worst things I do is like, like my fiance, when I truly put it down to paper, and I think this is a good thing that a lot of people should do is like, the what do they add to your life and then what do they subtract to your life and like making a list on two sides of the paper and then like adding up what they add to your life and then adding up what they like subtract or you would say like subtract yeah subtract from your life and then like what do they add more to your life than they subtract and like if they add more to your life like you have to like look at that like granted they shouldn't be your uh, dependency and like your, your source of happiness. Like I had to find that out. Like, I think I always thought of like a relationship as like, they would be, uh, what completes you. And Mm -hmm. like, I've realized that like, I have to complete myself first. Mm -hmm. And like the more I loved myself and like accepted myself, the easier the relationship was. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, and a secure bond between partners allows for, you to be more independent, right? The more securely attached you feel to someone, then the more inclined you are to go branch out and do, you know, individual things because you have that secure base to return to, right? And so all the individual things that you want to do, if it's like furthering your career or traveling, um, you know, that's, it becomes like a shared part of your relationship too. You're kind of cheering each other on and you want the other person to go and still have that individual part of themselves. But then also we have that secure base to return to where we're not like competing. We're not jealous of one another, you know, and if that exists there, we kind of need to see why it's existing. And if we can communicate about it and create more safety, Um, you know, sometimes people are just really protective, right? It's really scary to be vulnerable. Allison, like just what you were saying, Um, if it hasn't worked out so well in the past, or it's not something that you saw in relationship dynamics, um, growing up as well, what vulnerability actually looks like and what it feels like to do. Yeah. 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 And uh, this is just so great because I even thinking about my relationship now and he's been married twice. And so like, if you talked to me like three years ago, that would have been like such a red flag for me. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my god! What are you talking about? He also has two kids, which are ma- is amazing now in my mind. And but like you know, I think we all go through different developmental stages in our in our life. Like when our twenties and then our thirties. I'm forty now, but as you date, I mean, the the person that you are, like the person that I was at like twenty nine, twenty five, even. And I know t- Taylor, you're younger, so you can speak to this too if you want. <laughs> but person that I was then, I'm so different now that I think that if I met someone, if I met the same person back then that I did now, like, I don't even know if him and I would have like actually lasted because he was such a different person back then. So I feel like 
being like you have these relationships, whether you're married or you have long-term relationships. And sometimes those relationships is what actually teaches you more about who you are and like the things that you, you want. And fortunately, maybe it doesn't work out because maybe you weren't able to kind of recognize those things without this experience or before, but like I can definitely say 1000%. I feel like I met someone who really knows who he is now. And those experiences are what made him who he is and who I really like, you know? So sometimes it can be really hard in the moment, but like if it comes out to you being really who you are and your authentic self, I feel like it's such a good outcome. I also, so from my from my perspective as a 25 year old. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Tell us. So I met, this was actually a huge fear of mine. I met my uh, fiance, current fiance when I was 18. And so I, when I started really struggling with anxiety, my thoughts were like, we met when we were so young. I didn't know who I was then. I met him when I was in my crazy party stage. Like, what about if I were on the streets now? Would I want to go talk to him? Would he be the guy that I would want to meet? Like, I went through that whole, uh, you know, like, I met him when I was so different. Even though, like, I'm only 25 now, I back then, like, you would have been like, who the heck is that? Like, who is she? So, like, that was a huge issue with me because I was like, if I was, like, just out on the streets and I ran into this guy, would I like him? Mm-hmm. And so what I had to, like, tell myself is, like, we we both are just – we just have different struggles than, like, say, you meeting someone who has already right. been through it all right. and grown through it all. We have to kind of grow through our problems because I have Together, problems too. Yeah. I can't accept that. I mean, I can't sit here and be like, if I were to meet him on the street, well, what if he was to meet me on the street? Would he really like this anxious person who struggles with leaving the house sometimes? You know what I mean? Like, so it's like right. I have to see myself – I can't have double standards. No, yeah. But you guys yeah. – it sounds like you guys kind of, like, grew together. We ha- well, I had to accept that because at first I was like, maybe I need to like let go of everything from my past because I let go of a lot of friends who I was like, we don't match anymore. Like, I'm not that girl anymore. So I need to let go of them. And then I remember in my head being like, well, maybe I need to let go of him too. Because like, what if like I need to meet someone more like me, how I am now, because I did such a polar opposite change in my life. But then I realized he is a good person and like he's willing to grow with me. And there is no reason to let go of him. You know, like it was just like me wanting to almost like detox my whole life and like have this like, you know, so like I think there's times where it's like you have to like learn how to grow together because I think there's like so many statistics that are like if you meet someone and get married young, you're most likely to get divorced, right? And it's just like, it doesn't always have to be like that. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree with all that. And I I think, um, you know, there's another quote that I heard that it was like marriage is like a series of like, it's like grieving, you know, grieving the loss of certain people, like you grieving the loss of your partner of who they were when you first met and accepting parts of who they are now. Right. And like, we don't have to accept bad behavior, but like there's a willingness to accept someone if they've decided that, you know, they want to do something new or different, or they've always been more shy and they want to start to practice like being more extroverted you know, as long as there's that willingness and communication there, because I think that's where a lot of couples really get caught. And I, and for families too, like systemically, as there's changes and natural life progression, the desire is to have things stay the same. But what we really need to do is be able to grow together. And like, you're not a perfect partner and your partner isn't a perfect person. So expecting perfection of one another for you to be okay is not 
you know, if, if you're able to say like, this makes me like, I feel unsafe at these times, or I feel, um, you know, scared or nervous or silly to share with you how I'm feeling. Um, like that's huge to be vulnerable. So then your partner can know that and they can try to make you feel safer as you start to express your needs. Yeah. Uh, the honeymoon phase will end. I know. Normal. Oh, please. That, that was like every single therapy session of mine is like, I'm, I'm so terrified when like, you know, we're not, I'm not going to be thinking about him all the time and wanting to be around, you know, like this phase is like so exciting and just like all of the dopamine or everything that's happening. Oxytocin. That's it. Yes. The oxytocin. I'm like, oh my gosh. I think it freaks people out. Like when that part of like, why do I not like get butterflies when I'm around him anymore? I think with like people who have anxiety, you're like, oh my gosh, like I don't love him anymore. I don't like him anymore. Like, yeah. Well, and I'll say too, like that's a lot of the times that's your attachment system, right? So like, you know, we all have that initial stage of a relationship where there, there's all these hormones going, right? There's attraction, there's physical attraction and all that. And that always evens out for everybody at some point. But if the relationship after that starts to look like, um, you know, you're reaching out, they're not answering the phone or like, you know, you're kind of having that cat and mouse game. And then all of a sudden your partner shows up, like your attachment system, if you're anxiously attached, you're going to be really like lit up by that. And you're going to mistake that for love when that's really your anxious attachment showing up. And so that's what you need to be aware of. Like, am I letting this person just not, you know, not call me back? Or am I kind of, you know, I'm meeting them when they want to meet me. And when, you know, we can have, you know, a couple good days together and then they disappear for three weeks. Like that's not love. That's your attachment system. Right. And you have to be aware of that and like break that cycle for yourself as well. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rebecca, this was so amazing. I feel like I could talk to you for another. Yeah, I could talk about this all day long. (laughs) I am awesome. (laughs) Honestly, I love it. That's why I had you on my live. And you guys can go to um, the Anxiety Healer on Instagram, and and I actually saved that Instagram live with Rebecca. So she talks a lot more about other the other attachment styles. So you can go to that and check her out if you want. Um, But Rebecca, tell everyone where they can find you. Yeah. So please visit um, connectedcounselingpa.com. That's my practice website. I also have um, an Instagram uh, at Rebecca McDermott MFT. I think that's it. At Rebecca McDermott MFT (laughs) is my handle. I I have like my own attachment relationship to my Instagram account. I've just really avoided it and left it there since like the summer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I hear you. Yeah. That's okay. We'll be tagging you and stuff in in the in the, um, you know, when we post about it, so don't worry, we'll, we'll make sure yeah. people get, get My to plan you. Is to, is to get back there at some point. But again, I think, you know, as, as COVID has continued and, you know, it's just kind of about survival mode at this point. So if you are, you know, not as productive as you normally are, or your relationship is suffering a bit during this time, like we've been in survival mode, so it's okay. And if you want help and if you want, um, if you, if you need some guidance, I, I think that's the thing too, for, individuals who are anxiously attached, like you're always the one who's kind of looking out for stuff going wrong in the relationship. So if you're that partner and you need some guidance or you just want to put that role down for a little bit, like do not hesitate, reach out and work with a good couples therapist and find a good, find a a therapist who really specializes and works with couples. I think um, there's a lot of people out there who are hesitant to start couples therapy because they 
haven't been to a therapist who really understands relationships. So look for somebody or a practice that really specializes in relationships, um, especially attachment work, because it's very, very valuable when you find that connection. Amazing. Such great advice. I would say the same (laughs) thing. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate it. And I wish I could actually see you sooner than later, but this COVID is making it very Sometime hard. soon. <laughs> well, thank you, ladies, so much for having me, Taylor. It was so nice to meet you. Yes, so nice meeting you. Thank you um, so much. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd be happy if you guys want me to give um, like book recommendations and stuff, I could send them to your way as well for when you post this. Yeah, sure. Do you have any oh, off the top of your sure. head right now? Um, that are good? I, yeah, for couples, uh, I love Hold Me Tight by Sue Johnson, and then also Attached by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. I just Heller. bought that. I just bought it's that. So, it's so good, and it really breaks it down in such a simple way. And then also The Power of Attachment by Diane Poole Heller. She gives really great coping strategies for each attachment style. She goes through all of them. Um, so it's just some great concrete examples in there. But I think if people even just start paying attention to like, relationships you see on TV or um, even songs that you hear, you're going to start like hearing those themes of attachment and just kind of pay attention to them because it really helps normalize um, the way we act in relationships with each other. Awesome. Amazing. And I'll, I'll link um, the books, send me the names and the authors of the books on email and I'll link them to this um, podcast under Perfect. the podcast description so you guys can get them um, easily. Oh, thank you so much. This was so amazing. I really appreciate it. I feel like I just had another therapy session for myself. With my <laughs> <That's great. laughs> so awesome. Love it. And I hope you listeners feel that way too. Um, all right, Rebecca, thank you so much. And everyone, um, we're looking forward to another great episode uh, next week. And we can't wait. We're going to be talking all about um, different types of anxiety with the holidays and just other stuff coming up. Also, if you have any suggestions on what you want us to talk about, feel free to DM me at the anxiety healer and Taylor at health underscore anxiety. All right, guys, happy healing. Talk to you later. Hi, healers. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Anxiety Chicks with Taylor and I. As always, you can find us on Instagram. You can find me, Allison Sepinera, as the Anxiety Healer and Taylor as health underscore anxiety. And as always, you can check out the Anxiety Healing School. I just dropped a new course called When Panic Attacks, Triggers That Create Fear and How to Overcome Them all about overcoming your anxious triggers and finding more awareness on what contributes to your anxious thoughts and giving you all the tools on how to overcome them. Uh, It's a self-paced course and if there's any struggle with finances, there's a payment plan available as well. So go to theanxietyhealingschool.com to check that out and as always go to peakofpanic.com to check out updates about Taylor's blog and her journal she's coming out with. Thanks, everyone. Happy healing. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.